obviously, our matches haven't necessarily gone the way we anticipated. But we don't give up. No, they don't. No, they don't. And we won't back down. Oh, no, is that a tap? Did she just tap out? You know, and we all have our 15 minutes of fame, and I'd like to take a couple of my 15 minutes to talk about the rights and the wrongs in the world of professional wrestling. And this match is for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Mr. Green. Thank you for tuning in and uh, listening to the program. There are a lot of things in the world of women's wrestling to address, uh, particularly since as the time of recording, I have gotten a chance to peruse through both the Royal Rumble and uh, the following SmackDown. Uh, some other news broke before, you know, uh, or I should say after last week's show. So, it's uh, quite a bit of things to to go into and, and talk about. So, let's get to it. The first thing that I guess should be mentioned, if I did not mention it before and I do not recall bringing it up, but if I did, then I'm just going to repeat myself. It has been reported that Mickey James is now a prime member of the uh, a creative of OVW's talent. She's reported as now the creative director and the head of female talent. Um, good and congratulations to Mickey James. She has, uh, I guess, since OVW's kind of gotten a lot of attention because of that Netflix document docu series that they did, and and as of late. They've kind of restructured their shows. I know there was um, and he's got a really good YouTube channel. And I wish I could remember the name of it. I wasn't planning on mentioning him, but uh, there was a guy he he had a YouTube channel that's built on um, analytics and how to process your channel, and he primarily does it seemingly for like um, channels like OVW, quite honestly, wrestling channels uh, and and. MMA things of the like but I think it's primarily pro wrestling and he went through and he talked about the channel not in a mean way but he went through and he talked about it how they could improve it the thumb, the thumbnails and, and this that and the other and did a, just a really good breakdown of their show and that and the episode that I watched of his I like I, I, I was I was really fascinated with the, the uh, other side of what he was saying but uh, I say that to say this, that since that time, OVW has seemingly taken a lot of that advice and pushed uh, changing the tone of OVW just even if in the um, social media sphere. 
Uh, but getting back to the primary story that um, OVW is, uh, reportedly has served as a developmental for, well, we know it's for, for development for WWE at one point. At one point, it also had a, a developmental contract with TNA, but I think it uh, primarily they deal with just developmental of talent, not for any particular promotion as of now, although some have filtered out into Impact. Well, I keep saying Impact. I should say TNA Wrestling and the NWA. They don't really do so much for the WWE anymore. But um, the press release, this comes from the official OVW uh, Twitter site or the Twitter account. Big news here at OVW. Welcome to the team, Mickey James. It's an incredible new era of the OVW women's division. And then they attach to that the actual press release, which reads, Wrestling legend Mickey James teams up with Ohio Valley Wrestling in a trailblazing role. Mickey James, known for her remarkable career and influence in women's wrestling, has teamed up with Ohio Valley Wrestling to serve as creative director and head of female talent, as well as executive producer for all OVW wrestling shows. Mickey James had Mickey James is a name synonymous with uh, excellence in the wrestling industry, and we are incredibly excited to be working with her," said lead OVW commentator and producer Brian Kennison. Her experience, talent, and vision will be invaluable in elevating our programming and our women's division to new heights. The next subject line is New Era for OVW's Women's Wrestling, and it reads, Mickey James brings over two decades of wrestling experience and passion for empowering female athletes. She broke new ground in 2021 as executive producer of the critically acclaimed Empower pay-per-view event, and she is also executive producer and co-promoter of StarCast Down Under, taking place in Australia, April 2024. I will say, before I continue to read this, um, Empower was a good show. I don't know if I would go so far, at least on my end, to call it critically acclaimed. Not because of the talent, but the production at times was just awful. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it wasn't bad enough to, just, to steer you away from watching the show overall. They, they, they had some good matches there, too. So uh, I will give them that much, especially once it got to the, the main event. It, 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 it really picked up its pace. Um, anyway, continuing on. Next subject line, revolutionizing women, uh, getting ahead of myself, revolutionizing wrestling entertainment. <clears throat> In addition to her leadership roles, Mickey James will be at the forefront of an exclusive TV series focused on female empowerment and professional wrestling, a project that underscores OVW's commitment to innovative and diverse storytelling. We are not just working with a superstar. We are embracing a vision for the future, added OVW CEO Al Snow. Mickey's influence will transcend the ring, inspiring a new generations of wrestlers and fans alike. Full circle moment. When Mickey James was signed to her first WWE developmental contract, she was part of the OVW roster. So how about that? Anyway, that uh, is big news for Mickey James. Um, congratulations to her and OVW for acquiring her talent and her being able to share her talent. I have very little doubt that if if things goes the way that she would like it to, 
that she will elevate that women's division greatly. She probably would have been better served if they would listen to be someplace like AEW because their women's division needs it. But since she is not, and she's going to be in OVW, I think it's uh, good on them. I mean, one person's loss is another company's gain, you know, and all that good stuff. So um, we will keep our eyes open. I, I will say ever since the docuseries that I mentioned earlier from OVW came out and I have tuned in to their show, it's been pretty interesting it's been pretty good it's, it's another one of those things i was like you can't rest on the laurels of being um the only female wrestling game in town because places like ovw exist and they're trying they clearly were trying to drive their female division forward to get some more steam underneath it to get some more talent underneath it and they certainly do not have them rusting what we would have considered back in the day a girly match. They're not, <laughs> it's not light. It's, you know, they're, they're beating the crap out of each other. If you don't believe it, go look at, and this is for the wild fans out there, go look at Amazing Maria fighting her own daughter, Hollywood Haley J. That was fairly hard hitting. And when you look at them, if you get the chance, if you decide that you want to find that video and look at it, you cannot go into that match looking at them and saying, oh, it's the mother truckers. No, it is not the mother truckers. That's why I like. I, I do not like the mother truckers, but I love Amazing Maria and I love uh, Hollywood uh, Haley J. In that persona, they're fantastic. But we want to keep things moving along. One of the big stories over the uh, past week, like I said, after I recorded uh, last weekend's podcast, was, of course, the Royal Rumble. And I said, preceding that, that any show that is wrestling-based going up against them that night is going to be eaten alive. Whether it was... Because they had good programming or not, I think it was irrelevant. It's more along the lines of there was so much curiosity around it. There was so much intrigue around what was going to happen. Of course, a lot of that intrigue fell to the men's Royal Rumble. It fell to the story of Cody Rhodes. It fell to the desire of CM Punk to be the main event. And, you know, it fell to uh, Drew McIntyre wanting to essentially be the spoiler and win that the championship it fell to the longest reigning intercontinental champion in history sticking in there i mean it was just a lot of little things that people would want to see that would drive interest in the product one of those of course would be the other royal rumble <laughs> it's it's kind of weird saying that even for me still but the Women's World Rumble, the other World Rumble. In the grand scope of everybody that was in the in the match, there's probably two or three that I like, okay, I, I got off on seeing them and hearing them announced and coming to ringside and 
and all that good stuff. And we have to start at the beginning. The I'm only going to talk about the ones that showed some kind of, uh, well, I'm not going to say show something, but the ones that really made some sort of impact to the evening or the match. And there's about three people. Of course, Naomi. Naomi. It is now official. For the last two or three podcasts, it was it was always up in the air. It was like, you know, the contract's coming to an end. Uh, she's due to do some tapings for Impact Wrestling. I keep saying Impact. I'm so used to it now. Uh, TNA Wrestling. She was due to do some tapings for them, and she went through the whole shebang. She dropped the title to, to uh, Jordan Grace. She wrestled her again in a rematch in what I would say was a really a strong match between the two of them. Not too fast. It was moderately paced had good length on it, it gave you enough to understand that this was a contest. And if you haven't seen it, I would say check it out. If you have TNA Plus, I would prefer that you go there. It would be an easier thing for you to digest if you watch it on that uh, app rather than on YouTube, but it is on YouTube. The only reason I suggest away from YouTube is that they do tend to pepper their matches with a lot of commercials. And even though the match quality necessarily doesn't suffer, it does take away from the momentum of the match. But to see Naomi show up after just being, you know, Trinity a few days prior, and I, I think she actually has one more televised match in TNA Wrestling, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I think that she's going to have a tag match with uh Grace against, uh, uh, who is it, Giselle Shaw and, and a partner, one of her partners, I believe. <clears throat> Don't quote me on that, but I, I believe that that's what's upcoming. But it was it was fantastic to see her um, show back up and, and give a really strong performance, quite honestly. She, she went in there, she hung in there for over an hour. And it made, even though she didn't win, and I didn't expect her to win, it made me feel like, okay, it, this is a new day for Naomi. Uh, she's not going to just be fodder necessarily for the other talents, at least I hope not. I mean, we're, we're just in night one here, but it, it would be fantastic that she is able to keep that momentum going. Uh, <clears throat> she is listed as, as having lasted in the Royal Rumble for one hour, two minutes, and 18 seconds. As is fantastic. It's fantastic for her. Uh, she was on WWE's The Bump, and she talked about that. Um, I'm going to try to read through this. <laughs> this The transcript is provided by Fightful. Uh, she replies, or, or they talk to her about some of her goals and whatnot. So just pick it up from there. I think it's just everything that's happened in almost these past two years. And for me to still know that I matter, know my value, know my worth, and just what I've done in TNA, there's no doubt anymore. There's nothing else for me to question about my talent, about my capabilities, about the star power I have. I've proven it. So now I got to just do it 
this go around in WWE in a way bigger way than I've ever done before. But the challenge this time is that though I've been around, I'm back again. But now it's like starting all the way over and back at the bottom. But I'm looking forward to that challenge and working my way back up and going against the best of the best. My goal is to be a Grand Slam champion. That is what my focus is. In order to get there, that's going to take a lot of work. But that's the mission that I'm on. That is the quote from Naomi. Again, the transcript by Fightful, the interview from WWE's The Bump. And I, I, I couldn't say it any better than what I said before. When she was in TNA wrestling, she looked like she was having a... She looked like she was having a really good time. I think the, I have nothing to, to back this up or prove this with. I, I just think the pressure was off of her, and she was able to go out and really enjoy what she was able to do and discover who she was as a wrestler. Not the WWE's wrestler, but discover who she is on her own as a wrestler. And this is a version of Naomi that I'm really looking forward to seeing. I hope that she's able to uh, make good on her promise. They also did put in the article, in order for her to succeed, she's already a former two-time SmackDown Women's Champion and a former WWE Women's Tag Team Champion. In order for her to succeed in her goal, she would have to win the WWE Women's Championship, which was formerly the Raw Women's Championship, and then she would have to win the NXT Women's title to accomplish that. So we will keep our eyes open for that. Um, one of the bigger surprises, and they also have a video on the TNA Plus app. I think it's also on, on their YouTube channel. Jordan Grace showed up at the Royal Rumble as the surprise entry. She showed up with the belt in TNA colors and entered at number five. How about that? And, and had a pretty good showing for the time. They, they let her go in. She didn't get bounced around. She didn't get eliminated in two seconds. She got to be Jordan Grace. Now, I do realize that there are probably a significant amount of people in that audience who didn't have a clue of who she was. I, I understand that because, you know, TNA wrestling is not on the same level as WWE, and I don't think anybody's going to argue that. It's a good company, and it has and has developed buzz. And I've been enjoying, as a side note, I have been enjoying the shows that I have watched on their app uh, lately. But just to have her there, regardless of whether the you know the majority of them knew or did not, I think for TNA as a company was a very big deal. And she was a good representative of that. And, of course, there's precedent for it. Mickey James is the one that kind of opened that door. Um, but when she went in, of course, she had two things going on. One, well, I won't say two things. Two things were different. First is that, you know, it was Impact Wrestling, not uh, TNA Wrestling. That's minor. But the other side of that is, Everybody that knew who Mickey James was, regardless of whether she was working for the company or not, she has equity within the WWE history. Jordan Grace doesn't. She's never wrestled for that company. So that was a far bigger deal 
that she got to show up and be a part of maybe the number two. Well, we used to call them pay-per-views, premium live events now. I don't even like that name. But uh, maybe the number two PLE of WWE's calendar. I think that was a, a pretty big deal. And she also has already put it out that she would accept any, you know, I'm not going to say any, but a WWE uh, superstar who wants to come down there and challenge her for the, the TNA Women's Championship or Knockouts Championship, the door is open. I would really like to see if that door will swing both ways. If uh, they let her come in there, but will they let somebody go down to TNA and challenge for the championship? There are a few people that I know are going to be pretty much off the table, or at least I would assume so. You know, your your big champions, your Charlotte Flairs, although that would be crazy if she went. Your Charlotte Flairs, your Baileys, your um, uh, EO Sky, probably not. Um. Anybody that's that's there that has a championship or at least perceived as being their top acts, Oscar, Kari Sane, you know, they they probably would not. Although, for any of the people that I mentioned, I would love to be proved wrong. I would love to be proved wrong. The other name that went into this, um, well, you have to mention Bailey because Bailey went the distance also. I think she came in at number three. But the other name that we have to talk about there just for a moment is Jade Cargill. Her WWE debut officially takes place in the 2024 Women's Royal Rumble. She enters at number 28. And she had a good showing. There's nothing I can say about that. They set her up pretty good. Nia Jax was in there already. They made it a point on commentary to mention what it took for a group of them to get rid of her in the previous years. And Jay Cargill was able to do it by herself. So, you know, for the viewing audience, that would be a big deal. The fact that she hoisted her up over her shoulders, you know, when it, when almost nobody else there could get off the ground, big deal. That she and Bel Air, they teased it. They teased the confrontation. And sometimes that's all it takes that's one thing, I mean, people may not agree with WWE storytelling a lot of times. But when they want to get the story across, when they want to create some buzz, when they want to get people excited, they do know how to do it. And this is one of those moments. Bianca Belair has up on a military press up in there, walking to the center ring. Jade Cargill has up on a military press, walking to the center of the ring. They both catch eyes. They both dump their... their uh, respective opponents and just for a moment here it is here's the stare down here's the you know here's the moment where we check each other out and it's broken up i mean but that's all it was there for is just let's just tease it and see if people are interested it's the same thing that they did going back to 1990 when hogan and the warrior first came across each other ever it was inside of a Royal Rumble, although they did have some level of interaction. The shove here, shove there, double clothesline, you know. But the tease, sometimes that is all it takes. 
Cargill went to the end, but she did not win it. That that uh option or or that honor, I should say, was reserved for Bailey. She she went the entire way. Well, maybe not the entire way, but you understand what I mean. She got the win. She is deciding to challenge, and this goes into um, this the following SmackDown. She's decided to challenge EO Sky for her championship. The reason being, and they had a, a good segment to do this, and I know I'm jumping out of sequence here, but they had a good segment to, to uh, promote this. Bailey comes out, and she's talking on the microphone and telling everybody <clears throat> that she's done it all, and she's been around WWE, and um, she's accomplished a lot. Except for one thing, and, and then she leads the conversation into that she's going to challenge Rhea Ripley because she's like, I, you know, in order to be the best, you have to beat the best, you know, basically. As she's doing this, damage control is behind her, kind of giggling, laughing, and cackling. And every time Bailey turns around, they stop, like they straighten up, like, oh, don't, don't let her see us laugh. But at after she does that, then Bailey continues to talk like sometimes it's, and this isn't verbatim, but sometimes it's more important than the championship is, you know, is a personal issue. And then she goes in talking about damage control and she turns towards them and she lets them know uh, in, in Japanese, no less. She, she gave them a, like a little bit of Japanese dialogue. And they all look surprised, like, yeah, I learned that listening to you. Well, y'all talking about me behind my back. And, and, you know, she's carrying on. And now you can hear the emotion kind of crank up in her. It's like, what happened? And she, she's looking at EO, you know, she's asking her, what, what happened? More or less, how do we get to this point? That's not what she said, but that's more or less what she was going with. Now, as she's talking, of course, Oscar and Carson are, backing off and they're circling around her and then they nail her here's what I loved about this segment she did not play the idiot and I don't think that's too much to ask I really don't I, she didn't play the idiot and I, and I get on wow and I, I hate to put wow into this I get on wow about that a lot where they have somebody say and do something it's like well that just made them look like a moron for, for, for bringing that up you know, see Princess Ozzy. But Bailey in this situation is like, I knew I was going to be attacked. First off, I know that y'all are talking about me, and I let it slide. I knew I was going to be attacked, so therefore I set a, you know, a, a weapon out for myself prior to this. Now, her knowing exactly which corner to fall in, I guess, depended on the fact that she knew that she set up a weapon there. But you know we won't we won't nitpick of that. She goes down after being jumped, but she's in the corner. She reaches down behind the steps, pulls up a pipe, and when they pull her back in the ring, she conceals it really well. And then next thing you know, she's pops Sky and Kari uh, saying, and she pops Oscar, and then it's down to her and EO. She draws back to the, with the pipe, and EO pulls up the belt to, to defend herself, and they stop. And that's when it's, you know, you fast forward to I'll see you at WrestleMania. So it, it was it was cool stuff. 
it was cool stuff. I I enjoyed it, and more than anything, like I said, I enjoyed the fact that she did not come off like some kind of moron, and that she didn't know what everybody else in the world knew. So, bravo, bravo to her. Uh, what else did we have here? We um, I was going to root around this whole because this Vince McMahon thing, and I know anybody that's listening to this right now probably very likely has heard the horror stories that Vince McMahon has provided. Now, well, he's provided inadvertently. I'm sure he didn't want these stories out. And I don't want to go too far off in that because that is a lot. That is, that is a lot. But I will say I want to bring up what Ronda Rousey uh, tweeted when she was chiming in on Vince's resignation specifically. She said, Bruce is McMahon's avatar and that Vince was still running things when he was away before. I... <laughs> I don't think many people uh, disagree with necessarily that um, uh, that logic that Bruce has, Pritchard, by the way, brother love for others, has operated and acted as an avatar for Vince McMahon, not just now, but for a lot of years, decades, probably. And, I mean, it's been said, telling Bruce Pritchard something is as good as telling Vince McMahon. So it it's not shocking. I don't think that she's she mentioned that, but also taking account that a she's no longer with the company, and b she's Ronda Rousey. She probably would have said it whether she was in the company or not, without fear of being fired or repercussion or this, that, and the other, because she's already taken care of. I only bring that up because I know. Um, Largely, the the Vince McMahon factor has played a hand in burning some people in that company out where it wasn't fun for them anymore or their direction seemed a little odd. I mean, we just had Naomi come back, and I would almost bet that as in no small part to the fact that Vince McMahon does not have any creative say. He's not even a company now. Uh, Lauren is probably no longer there either. Well, not probably, he's not. Um, I don't know if that's going to be a sign for Rousey to pop back up, but, you know, you get the point. It is interesting, and, and I, I won't go much further than that, I promise. It is interesting to see um, how the resignation of Vince McMahon might and I stress might affect the women's future in the WWE going forward. Uh, it was very clear that it was not a high priority for him after a certain point. Once they got through that year of we're doing the first ever women's this and we're doing the first ever women's that, once they got through that, the shine of that new toy wore off. And he didn't care. Yeah, the matches didn't go back down to being 30 seconds necessarily. But you could see there were times where it was like, this is not some sort of priority for them. It's just something that we have to do because we have to do it. That's basically it. 
one, um, side note, I don't know who would be interested in this or not. Gabby Tuft, I think I'm pronouncing her name right, is training at the dungeon for an in-ring return. Now, I did see the video that she posted. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, she formerly wrestled under the name Tyler Rex. Now, some of you might be like, Tyler Rex, that sounds like a guy's name. Well, yeah, she was a guy. She has transitioned fully into being female. Uh, after being away from the WWE for, I guess at this point, 10 years. 10 years. And the last time she was there, she was a man. And this has changed. So, um, getting back to the video that I saw, she wants to make an in-ring return and wrestle for the WWE. And part of that, I don't know if it's the sole motivation, but part of the motivation apparently is she would be the first person in WWE history to wrestle as both male and female. Having wrestled there once as a man and coming back as a female. Or a trans woman. Uh, like I said, it's been 10 years since that time. Left in 2014. Uh putting a lot of effort and work into training, although I'm not sure if the WWE is the right place for her to go initially. At some point, yes, but I don't know if it's going to be the right place initially only because I think that it would be distracting for them on the surface of it uh, right now. If she were to go and go Russell, say, TNA, MLW, something like that, and reestablish her wrestling background, that would probably play a little easier into the transition, into the WWE, no pun intended, And if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, I think right now, if, if they were just to take her immediately, it would be levied with some with a, with scrutiny and that that's probably the best way i could put it is you know, there would be some scrutiny there now, I mean, now that's not to say wwe wouldn't be able to get past it i think that especially now like if i wanted to bring her in without having any sort of blowback then i would sign her today because as long as there's a vince mcmahon in the news everything else is going to be second third and fourth and then you could probably get her in under the radar but aside from that, my personal suggestion would probably be, a, you know, try one of these smaller places that you, so you can reestablish who you are. Because the only way they would really be able to do it at this point is NXT and, you know, the story would be to change. But then would that be a distraction or not? Would that be something that the WWE is willing to deal with? Because, you know, somebody's going to have a problem with it. Time will tell. Should we go into the show now? I think so. So, <clears throat> this is episode 72. And that will be 220, seasonally speaking. 
The air date was January 27th, 2024. The title, The Only Way I Know How to Fight. The show opens up with the All-American Girls coming to the ring to give a promo. Santana Garrett cuts a basic promo, essentially saying, we don't give up and we don't back down. Nice babyface promo, more or less. Grits and Glam come out to confront them, and Jesse cuts a good heel promo, as we would expect that she does and should. Americana is still a little wooden in her promos. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that, but she's she's still a little wooden in the promos. But she, yeah, she she she's just not fully there yet. She does not. She she can she can deliver the message and she can say the words, but is oftentimes it doesn't come off as a natural function for her, if that makes sense. Some people see it when I say that. It's like, yeah, it's, it, it it just doesn't then come off, but some people can't. I mean, some people look at it like, oh, she's just fine. So make it that what you will. Um Wow continues to use Levi as a point of interest in the story, and I I don't like this. I don't like this. It's been brought up far too much. This is just too much of this. Hey, it's Levi. She's doing it for Levi. And I love Levi. And you know, she Jesse Jones used to be a, a mentor to Levi. I was like, come on, man. I hated me just saying it right then. <laughs> like me bringing it up that many times is just too much. And it's too much on the show. It is just too much on that show. You ain't got but an hour. You can't be cramming 15 mentions of, of Levi into that and expect people not to get tired of it. But we'll get back to that later on because there is a main event and you know that kind of focuses around him for whatever reason. The first match is the Brat Pack and their newest member, Lil J Boogie, taking on Spring Break 24-7 and Chantilla Chella. So J Boogie has joined the Brat Pack, and my initial note there was, is J Boogie going heel? It doesn't appear that way, but she is with a heel group. Or heel team, however you choose to to define it. Um, I, I I really did not understand what her role here was. The last time we saw Jay Boogie with the members of the Brat Pack, they did not have a physical confrontation. They did have a verbal one, and it and it seemed like it ended with her not necessarily liking the Brat Pack, her being Jay Boogie, but here we are. And there does not seem to be any friction. They seem to get along, even though the Brat Pack largely looks like they're heels, even though they weren't totally heels here. So I, I, I don't know what it is that they're trying to do with this team or a faction or however they're going to play it. It's just... It is what it is. I mean, and then you had a callback to Boogie and Chella 
having this respect for each other. They they go through a series of matches and flips, and I jump over you, you duck under me. We we both trying for the the uh, arm drag. I try, no, you try, no, we try together. Hey, you know, we do, we give each other a point, and all right, that was cool. So Boogie isn't working as a heel here, but she, you know, seems to have no problems with the assumed aggression that um, her teammates might have. So I think it was safe and fair to say that anybody that watched this match would have not had any reason to believe that Chella or Spring Break 24-7 was going to win this. Their job here was just to provide bodies in the ring for the Brat Pack to beat. Now, did they do a good job? Did they did they uh, have a reasonable match? Yes, they did. Now, it, it wasn't completely smooth. That There was some herky-jerky points in it and things that I'm like, okay, this is probably where the timing that they have between each other should be worked on a bit. But outside of that, I, it was relatively fine. Gigi Gianni seems like she's trying to acclimate herself more into the tone of the Brat Pack rather than just being the Italian fashionista as she was. I mean, there was a point in the match where she's walking around raising the roof. So, so I think that is leaning less towards what she was and she's kind of redefining who Gianni is and I'm, you know, I'm not mad about that. There is a point in the match where uh, Jay Boogie comes in the ring and she pulls Crystal Waters out of the corner into what was supposed to have been a drop toe hole. Crystal Waters completely missed that or Jay Boogie completely missed it. Either way, Waters had to essentially trip herself in order to get that move into, into play. So Waters was the... Uh, sacrificial lamb of the group up until they got the she got the hot tag in all the heat was done on her <clears throat> and she was able to make the escape and again this goes back to is jay boogie a heel or not boogie holds up crystal waters in the full nelson while bk rhythm comes in for a kick Waters is able to get out of the way. She nails Boogie by mistake. It's like, oh, my gosh, Boogie gets out of the ring, and now BK is there. And Sandy Shore comes in. Ah, what is it? So the names, the names, Crystal Waters, Sandy Shore. It should just have somebody just a beach lady. If we're going to just go on the nose like that, might as well. So anyhow. Shore and Chantilla Cella get in there and they start doing the whole cleaning house thing. They got Gianni and they got BK Rhythm. And as much as Rhythm and Gianni have not done well in the past in tag team matches because they lose more often than not, um, the deciding factor here apparently was going to be Jay Boogie. She came in and she, she helped her team win. When they were about to double team uh, BK Rhythm, Gianni came around, grabbed one leg, 
Jay Boogie grabbed the other. They pulled their friend down from the what was a double suplex attempt. And then Jay Boogie had no problems going after her friend, Chantilla Chella, for giving a fire and a forearm at her. They tossed Shaw out of the ring. Boogie throws Chella into Gianni for her power slam. I'm still not sold entirely on the double team version of this because it's like a power slam slash DDT, but there's only so much of that you could do. Or a power slam slash suplex. I don't know how much more momentum you would get on that. But um, they win. And I will say, you know, I, I, I still, I like Gigi Gianni. I think that she is another one of those names. I bring them up every once in a while that I feel like should be doing something else. And that doesn't mean leave wild like I'm never coming back. But she probably would do well to just go and and be in the larger ring, have somebody else who has a different idea for uh, different presentation, different opponents, because she she works hard, and she looks like she works hard. I mean, it's it's little things that she does in the course of a match where she's showing the facial expressions and she's trying to put herself in the right place at the right time and had the timing to get to where she needs to be without looking like I'm just standing here oblivious to what's going on until you can jump off the top rope or something. I mean, a good a good scene in that match to illustrate that is she got caught in the mouth and she's staggering around and she's trying to get back up. She's holding her chin while Crystal Waters is getting on the second rope and as she's doing it, she finally gets herself the, the, the cobwebs out and she's holding her mouth. She looks up and now I see, oh my God, this person's about to jump off at me and by the time I get to react to it, it's too late. Little things like that and I, and I love that. I love that she has that in her. Rhythm speaks for itself. She, I, I know I'm, I'm maybe not the biggest BK Rhythm fan, but I love Killer Kate. And there's not a, a lot of difference between the two other than the name. But um, she also works very hard and does what she can do to try to make her matches somewhat believable. At the end of this, Gianni cuts a promo essentially welcoming Jay Boogie to the team. Her dance of celebration that Boogie did was better, but it still wasn't good. So, you know, make of that what you will. Uh, there was <laughs> somebody who was not happy about the fact it's like, little Boogie turning the heel after one week as a face. Writers, make up your mind, please. That's a, uh, uh, that's a, uh, a comment that was left for them on their, their YouTube channel. And I can't say I disagree, but I but my only question here was like, well, what's really happening here? Is Jay Boogie going heel or is the Brat Pack going babyface? Because when you look at this at the end of the match and the, the com not the commentator, but the promo that she did, this looked like a babyface scene. We are, hey, we welcome you into the family or to welcome you to the group. And then she asks her to dance, and then she starts dancing. And the crowd is happy. They're clapping and whatnot, or, you know, for what a wild crowd does. That's not a babyface thing to do. Like, let's entertain these people by having you dance. 
So I don't know where they're going with that. I, I honestly have not a clue. I thought that they would be um, a heel team. And they should be a heel team, given who they're coming up against next if, if Wild stays true to their bracketing. They're supposed to be up against Team, uh, team Spirit. Team Spirit is a babyface team. Brightback should be heel. So we will see where that goes. The next segment is Goldie Collins. She has a vignette. She's cutting a promo on the wild wrestlers being untrained. You know, just, just all the dog puns that she did before. This is a rehash of her first video package. Essentially all the same stuff. The only difference here is that she's speaking in past tense opposed to when I get to wow, I'll be the best in show. You know, she's not speaking the future. She's speaking past. And the past tense being, you know, I've tried to train them and they, they won't sit. They won't run. They, okay. The, the, the promo here is ridiculous because it's dog puns. And this person who either believes that she's a dog trainer of some description and that everybody else in the ring are dogs, or she's just trying to be witty with her dogisms. Either way, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It it, it, it just doesn't. I mean, it's does she even have a win yet? Has she won anything? Why would she be getting another? dedicated video to her but they gave her one and this was it and she calls herself the best in show i will give credit where it's due is it's silly but it wasn't terrible i just don't think it was necessary if you because i i do realize there's some people out there that enjoy the camp they enjoy campiness, they enjoy the silliness, they enjoy the puns and whatnot. So I can't say that it's terrible. It's pointless, but it wasn't terrible. So I so I will correct the uh the the review of that segment and say that it wasn't really a pointless thing. I mean not pointless, it wasn't really a, a uh a point to it, which is what I was trying to say. There was no point to this. It was it wasn't didn't really go anywhere. It was just a generic Goldie Collins promo about I'll win and all these dogs will learn their lesson and, you know, they'll learn to roll over and beg and yada, yada, yada. Uh, this match precedes the match before Adriana Gambino, so we know where this is going. Next segment is a recap of the Fatal 4-Way match results. This has David McClain withdrawing the title opportunity for Miami Sweet Heat due to cheating. I didn't necessarily have a problem with this because I was not interested in seeing another Miami Sweet Heat and the Tonga Twins squaring off. I just, I have no desire to see this. But it does illustrate one other problem. That problem, Ben, is that David McClain is inconsistent with his powers of authority in WoW. There are times when he 
can say things and it's just an absolute and it's not going to be debated. This is what's going to happen as of right, like right now. I withdrew that title opportunity because they cheated. But then you have moments like what he had several weeks back where I don't know what to do with you guys. Sophia Lopez, Lana Starr is just too much trouble to have you out there. And then somebody else has, well, we'll do it. We'll let you handcuff them to us and we can watch it for you. And, and you know, that, that's not the only time that this happened, but this is the best example I can think of off the top of my head. When somebody else has to make the decision or provide the authority for him. But then you go back to the next thing, like uh, what the, the four corners match that I just finished talking about. What was the first thing he did before that match started? He got up on the microphone and said, you two cannot be here. Sophia Lopez and Lana Star, you can't be here. You got to go. So he's inconsistent with his power of authority. Sometimes he can do stuff with it. Sometimes he can't. They, they should work on him having a steady, constant thing. I've repeated it in multiple shows. He does too much. It needs to, he needs to just have one thing that he does and does well, opposed to multiple things that I just insert myself into anytime as I feel the need or is necessary or they drag me into it. So I would, I would suggest that if nothing else. The next segment is the match. It's Goldie Collins taking on Adriana Gambino. This is a heel versus heel match. I'm not sure why this is taking place. Uh, but it is. And they, they have their, their moments with each other. Uh, Collins does some moves well sometimes. But some of the small things that she has in here go a bit undone. Now, I, I want to give her some credit where it is due. If she is an actress and this is likely less than 10 matches for her in her career, and she's on national television, mind you, this is likely less than 10 matches for her. She seems to have done a fair job in keeping up with Gambino. But I do know that part of that is going to be Adriana Gambino. Because, like I said, there are small things there that Collins did that just didn't really make a lot of sense to me. But, like, but as stated, they were small. One of them being is the, the roll-up sequence that Gambino and, and uh, Collins had. There was a you know rear waist locker to a roll-up for one, and then uh, Collins would do a schoolgirl. And for whatever reason, when she stood up, even though Adriana Gambino was facing her, she stood up and turned the opposite direction. But she did that because she was setting her up for a roll-up. Which, again, I'm like, okay, why why would you turn away from that? She's supposed to either turn you or roll through and pull it. And there's there a couple of times where it just looked like it was becoming a cluster between the two of them trying to get their, their stuff together. Wasn't necessarily bad. It wasn't, you know, obviously screwed up or 
stuff like that. I'm, I know that I'm looking for small things, so I don't expect a lot of people to be watching for that. But it's there, and you can see it if you're, if you're looking for it. Uh, another one is that there's a point in the match where Gambino go for, goes for a suplex, and what uh, Collins is doing is attempting to counter it. The counter that used to happen is that the opponent that is being attempted to be suplexed would stick their legs through their opponent and kind of hook around one of their legs so that the other one can't get them up. That was the way that it was done. So it could look like, okay, this person's trying to get me up, but I'm not letting them do it because I'm trying to block it. What Collins did is that she just essentially put her foot between Adriana Gambino's legs and that was supposed to stop it. It might have even been different if she had kind of squatted down, drop her center of gravity, something like that. But just kicking your leg in between her boots is not enough to stop this person from suplexing you over. But they're just going with it. But that is exactly what I mean by sometimes it's just the small things. If you you don't know what I'm talking about, go back in the match. You'll see exactly what I mean. I still didn't understand why they was doing the heel versus heel match. Anyway, uh, Collins does execute some things well. She did, she did a not, very nice suplex. I think that she is a little bit out of place in certain moments, like the roll-ups that I mentioned earlier. I also do not think that she is going to have any desire to be a wrestler beyond being in WoW. I think WoW is where it's going to start and where it's going to stop. And <laughs> any anything remotely considering like, oh, let me go and, and wrestle elsewhere is going to be off the table. Now, does she have to go wrestle someplace else? No, it's not some sort of requirement that she go and take another wrestling gig. It would just help her to some degree to be able to do it. So getting towards the end of the match, it was a good back and forth for, for what it was worth. But I will say this, every match that WoW has does not need to be some sort of back and forth match especially when you have people there that are not going to be anything other than just a job, you know, team and or person. And Goody Collins comes off like she is going to be just just a job girl. She's there to facilitate the win for somebody else. Gambino at the end catches her in her cradle neck breaker, the, the chef's kiss. One, two, three, we're done. I, I don't personally think that Gambino should have had as competitive a match with Goldie Collins. I think that she, after a minute or two, I think that should have been moved on. Gambino should have just won. And I mean, not just beat her flat, but you know she should have taken control of the match and lead into her giving the chef's kiss and moved on. Goldie Collins has not beaten anybody on this show, nor has she shown any reason for anyone to believe that she is a competitive wrestler against somebody the uh, quality of uh, Adriana Gambino. Gambino should have done this. But um, 
She did win. It was overly competitive for my taste considering the opponent. But this is a heel versus heel match, and it's a cold match. You know, there's no angle here. The only thing that makes this better or gives it a saving grace is that Adriana Gambino got on the microphone and she got a promo after the match. And she got a promo after the match calling Goldie Collins out of her name in the nicest way that you could probably do on wild television. Which I say, okay, that, that's, that's nice. And it also pushes for, hey, I'm still undefeated. And, hey, you, you line them up, I knock them down, essentially. So that's fine. I don't think that it should have been a heel versus heel match. They've got to have some of the baby faces in there that she they, they hire people all the time. So they got to have some other baby face they could have slotted into this this uh, position rather than Goldie Collins. I, I, I don't agree with the matchup. I agree with the match end, and I agree with Adriana Gambino continuing her winning streak. I just do not agree with that. It should have been Goldie Collins that she was up against. Regardless of the fact that she won, it just... I would prefer to be an actual babyface. The next match, Chainsaw with Angelica Dante versus Fury. The heavy metal sister, the last one standing. So, we've got heavy metal sister Fury taking on uh, Chainsaw, who they look like they're trying to establish as the resident monster. Which is why I said before they should have held off on trying to have the Beast and Chainsaw wrestle off each other except for when the Beast comes back in the first week. They could have got some mileage out of that but they've already blown that through and, and this is the third rehabilitation that Chainsaw's had to go through due to loss. You can probably look at when she got beat by the skin of her teeth by uh, Candy Crush. <clears throat> you can look at her when she got beat by the Beast. You can look at her when she got beat by Holiday. And now we're here. And it's starting all over again. And she's you know, trying to reestablish that Chainsaw is the dominant force. While recaps, Chainsaw throwing Foxy Fierce through a wall. Fortunately for them and this pitching picture thing they didn't uh even when they extended it they didn't show the 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 false wall too long you, you would have to be paying attention to it but i remember when she threw it through that wall i was like this is the most awkwardly placed wall i've ever seen and it is clearly absolutely fake <laughs> so i mean if they were going to do that I was like, you should probably at least bring it up to the ceiling so it doesn't look like a wall that's out of place but you know whatever what do i know um, the fans during this match chanted for both women at one point, which was weird, but I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because I also said that most people do not come to these wild things for a specific person. They go there for a while and they're just there to, you know, clap, applaud, you know, cheer the people and enjoy the show. It's not necessarily that they're emotionally invested, in this, you know, in in most of these people. 
And I don't think this was any different. So uh, the match starts off with you know, Fury antagonizing Chainsaw, like miming doing a Chainsaw thing. And then she lets Chainsaw run in and she ducks out. And then she does it again. Uh, so that's when she lunges over, gets the side headlock, and now we're trying to see Chainsaw as the monster. Without going into the entirety of it, I will say that Dante actually interferes in the match. I'm also, I'm always impressed and proud by that, that you have your, your managers actually attempting to act like managers, so good on her. I... The match was all right. It, it it wasn't anything to write home about. I mean, it, it was a foregone conclusion to me who was going to win this, so I didn't really have a lot of uh, invested in it. <clears throat> but as a side note, while this was going on, uh, David started talking about the, the USC girls that's on the front row, according to him, they you know, they they get tickets and come down to the show every week. Now, I only bring that up to say this, because I've talked about them before, I, and I can honestly say, I cannot prove that they probably paid to be there. But if, if one of them told me, "Oh no, they gave me free tickets, so they paid us to be there on the front row," it wouldn't shock me at all. It it would not shock me in the least, because if there's one thing I can say about Pro wrestling crowds. I've gone to a lot of pro wrestling shows over the years. In this city, in this region, in the Midwest, in the uh, Mid-South, <clears throat> up in the Northeast. I've seen a lot of different pro wrestling shows and matches. And that's those are just independent ones that I went to live. That's not including stuff that I saw on television or YouTube or what have you. But I, in that time that I've gone, I have never seen a collective of attractive young women, we'll say, appear at any wrestling show, any of them. And when I say a collection, I mean, we, we're talking about like, uh, how many of those? There's like six of them that's there on the front row, so, somewhere along there. But I've never seen that. So if you were to tell me, or if one of them were to contact me, it's like, oh, yeah, they just give us tickets. I, I would absolutely believe that. Either that or all six of them are David McClain's interns or they're working for Jeannie Buss at the uh, Lakers games or something like that, and they just happen to go to WOW as a side job or something like that. But I, I find it, I'm not saying that they can't. I'm not saying that they won't. But I find it somewhat hard to believe that they do. And it wouldn't shock me if there was some ulterior thing that was providing them means to get into that show. Um, I mentioned earlier that I was happy with Dante uh, being a manager and at least trying to make some effort there. I am, but I also think that she could do a better job in her cheating. What she did was... During the course of the match, Fury gets tossed by a chainsaw. She crawls over to the opposite turnbuckle while the referee's 
jaw jacket with chainsaw. Looks like he's not saying anything. He's just waving his arms around like, hey, no, what are you doing? You know, it's the same referee that I've largely had a problem with because I don't understand what what he's doing. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why are you stopping Chainsaw from moving over there other than I know that this is the spot where Dante is supposed to choke her? Like, there's no justified reason that he's standing there telling her, hey, no, stop, move, stay in the corner, don't go over there. You know, there's no real reason for this to be taking place. He's just doing it. So as this is happening, Dante grabs the hair of Fury and pulls her out under the, the second rope and just over the bottom, and she's rubbing her hair, basically. I mean, just, that, that's more or less what it's coming off like. It's like she's rubbing her hair and, and not even really doing that. So what I would have really suggested if I were going to say anything to Dante, and for that matter, anybody that was involved in it, because I, I really have a hard time believing that. I was like that Fury allowed that to be the way that it was done. But what I would have suggested is like, okay, you got her by the hair, and her arms are already over the bottom rope. Pull down so it looks like you're trying to choke her on the bottom rather than give her a gentle scalp massage. And that's what it came off like. It's like, this just looks like you're just rubbing her head. I appreciate the effort. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate the effort that she put into attempting to look like she was mean and vicious and I'm going to interfere for my sister and all that stuff. But next time, Angelica Dante, next time, grab them, make sure their arms are over the bottom rope so they don't actually choke themselves out and they can, you know, get their armpits in the way. But drop to, hold on to their neck and drop to your knees and, and, and start choking them that way so it looks as if you're putting forth the effort to cut off this person's air. So anyhow, Fury breaks free of that and charges in once the referee, you know, finally relinquishes some control and let Chainsaw run. Furious tried to get the uh, momentum back on the side, but this does not work. The down spot for her is when Fury gets onto the second rope and Chainsaw tries to bear hug her off of it or something to that degree. Fury turns that into a DDT, but then she decides to go and start talking to some fans or something. And then Chainsaw choke slams her. Single hand choke slam, puts her down, comes down with the big splash. One, two, three, that's it. And a clean win for Chainsaw. In Fury's quest to become a single superstar and her road to the wild championship is derailed yet again. David continues hyping the main event. And he keeps making Levi a point of a big component of the angle. Saying things like she's doing it for her son and you know all, all that good stuff. And again, we'll get back to that. Next segment, they show the trios tournament recap. 
And I was amazed that they are committed to the brackets, even though I no longer think that they're committed to the brackets. And I, well, I guess I can say it now. I I mentioned that because I have seen the preview for the next week's show. Or at least as I'm recording this, the show that will be coming on in the immediate future. And... When I when I look at that, I was like, I, I I had such hopes for these brackets, I really did. But I I just don't feel like they care anymore. They're just gonna do some nonsense, and I know they're about to do some nonsense. The only thing that I am hoping for in this is I hope that they um, justify it somehow. Next segment, Santana Garrett and Americana, they have a backstage moment in their personal locker room. I know it's personal because they, you know, that's why they got the curtains and stuff up there. Never mind the fact that, you know, these curtains are extended over probably like 10 different people's lockers. They just have them. But uh, Santana Garrett is seemingly concerned about what she is about to do, she being Americana, facing off against Jesse Jones. And Americana essentially responds by saying, you know, this is the only way I know how to fight. This, this is the only way that I know how to fight. And Santana Garrett suggests that she fight with her and that she not do it, on, you know, fight with your head and not with your heart. And uh, Americana chooses not to do that. She, she is, you know, back to the title of the, of the match, uh, title of the show. This is the only way I know how to fight. I don't know if that is a good thing or a bad thing in this context. My initial answer would be bad. So we get to the main event. That main event being Jesse Jones versus American. Now keep in mind that both of them have essentially decided that we're going to Leave our seconds in the back. We're not going to bother that. It's just you and me. So Jesse Jones is not coming out. She's intimidating Levi. She comes with, you know, takes a little jump at him while he's got his sign and whatnot. Now, before we go into the, the match itself, this is where I'm going to go off into talking about Levi. And I am going to try to say this as nicely as I possibly can. Wow needs to stop utilizing Levi. This is this cannot be well for Americana or the promotion. The constant bringing up of this child. He was mentioned at least you know no less than eight times in this match. And I'm saying that off the top of my head because that's what it felt like. Certainly no less than 10 or 15 times throughout the, the entirety of this hour. It's just Levi, Levi, Levi this and Levi that. And then they stick him on the screen. Got to have a camera on him. I mean, and not just when Jesse Jones goes over there or when Americana goes over there. Just put the camera on Levi. What this reminded me of, and I, I made sure to write this down. And 
people of a certain age may, may get understand me when I say this. Uh, there used to be, and I think she's still on TV right now, but back in the day, uh, Kathy Lee Gifford used to be on the show called Regis and Kathy. One of the things that happened on that show frequently was Kathy Lee talking about her family. And she would talk about, oh, Cody did this, and Cody was so adorable, and Cody would sing this, and Cody would do that, and Cody, Cody, Cody. It got to the point that people actively hated Cody. They never met the dude. He's grown now, but at the time, he was a kid. They never met him, and they was like, good Lord, can you just get through a show without talking about Cody? It made people resent a child that they never even saw the the bulk of the people watch you know watching that program it made them resent him this is the path that wow was on they have a segment of fans that are dedicated to this program but they should not be doing things that's going to just drive them into the ground this is one of is I know it doesn't come off like a big deal because I'm sure if anybody in that office is listening, like, ah, oh, he didn't know what you're talking about. But having your commentators, your cameras, your wrestler, like she doesn't have any purpose that she serves, all due respect to Americana, but she doesn't have any respect any purpose that she serves beyond being Levi's mom. Her entire angle is built on, why did you cheat? Levi doesn't need to see that. Her whole run and wow has been underperformed. If you look at the entirety of her, that is, this is the biggest thing that she has in front of her, is that she is the, mo- the mom of Levi. And that's it. That's 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 pretty much it. And let's look at her career as I can think about it off the top of my head, because I'm sure somebody else could, could chime in and say some other stuff. So or, or at least her connection to Jesse Jones. Jesse Jones turned babyface not because of Americana. She turned babyface because Commander Spars, who we no longer see. Amanda Rodriguez. And Americana was like the beneficiary of that. She just joined the group. When Spars turned and turned to Rodriguez as a heel, then they got involved in an angle that was pretty much began the angle, shot the heat for the angle, had the match and the blow off of the angle all in one episode. So it didn't go anywhere. They they wrestled them, beat them, and they moved on. They had a reasonable win-loss record until they started getting into the angle that would have led to them splitting initially when Americana could not concentrate on her match because she was constantly in the thought process of, isn't Levi cute? And what do you think Levi would think about this? And, you know, and, and America... Americana would just carry on and on and on about it. And these are angles that they shot. Jesse Jones, like, concentrate. Concentrate on what you're doing. 
Then they had the match where Americana stopped in the middle of the match and started showing hearts to to Levi because she couldn't couldn't not do it and then cause her team to lose. And that's after you know right before Jesse Jones departed for a significant amount of time. Then she comes back and is not helping her partner. She's clearly going after being the wild champion. She's also clearly in a situation where she's outmanned. I'm going against exile. It's three of them. And they got no problems cheating. And the world knows they had no problems cheating. And yet and still, Americana stands there and watches. Doesn't do anything to help. Doesn't lift a finger. And then we get to this. Jesse Jones turns on her. And now we're at match number two since she's turned. She's already lost clean in a tag match. They didn't cheat to do that. It was a, it might have been considered a cheap win, and I'm trying to pronunciate so people can tell the difference. They might have had a cheap win, but they did not cheat. So uh, all of that to say, A, Americana's angles have been very lackluster. This is probably the best one that she's been in, which leads into problem B, which is the same thing that she had with problem A under a different category, <laughs> is that her entire persona and focus and only goal as Americana is just to be the wrestling mom. And she, she's going to need something else besides that at some point. It is going to wear thin with fans if they have to listen to Americana talk about Levi all the time. Nigel does it, but he doesn't do it a lot. David McClain will run that into the ground. And he, he's got no bones about running into the ground. He, he, he's excited to say it. Little Levi. So, yeah, like that should just stop. Now, I understand these matches have already been shot. They can't do anything about it now unless they're going to go back and redo commentary or something. But going forward, when, when the matches that they have for this last taping run out, they should be done with that. Give her some adult goal to go after. Not just, I have to do this for Levi. So, um, Jesse Jones comes out to the ring first, followed by Americana. Americana gets into the ring and then she's immediately attacked. Now, that, I guess, if anything in this match would be qualified as cheating, I guess that would be, or, you know, attacking you when you're not ready. But, you know, for the sake of this, we'll, we'll include it. We'll say that, okay, well, you know, Jesse Jones cheated there. It was a, it was a very cheap Thing to do but not necessarily did she break the rules but I'm you know trying to give somewhat of the benefit of the doubt in this kayfabe universe uh, the match is fine and I think this is largely in part to Jesse Jones being there and Jesse Jones being able to give her the match that she needs 
Otherwise, I don't. I, I think this would have fallen apart if it had, if it had been someone less skilled than a Jesse Jones on the opposite side of this. After Americana does a you know charges in after Jesse Jones, Jesse Jones gets out of the way and Americana leaps over the top rope and then comes back in with a springboard uh, axe handle. Um, she does get a couple of good moves in. Roll up, you know, uh, drop kick and things, things of that nature. But there's a point where she's clearly the lines got a uh, communication got crossed. Somewhere I would say maybe just before the half of the match, Americana shoots Jesse Jones off into the turnbuckles in the corner, and then she just stops. She just stops and she puts her hands on her knees like I'm waiting for you to come back out. <laughs> But, you know, and then she decides to charge in. And that's all like, okay, the lines of communication somewhere got got lost here. But Jesse's match has always been Jesse Jones's match. And she works the arm, the shoulder, and it began at that point when Americana tried to charge in. Jesse Jones caught it and draped it over the top rope as she jumped down to the floor. One thing Jones is very good at, she is very good at joint manipulation or at least the illusion of joint manipulation. She conducts or moves the arm in such a way that it looks like, you know, to, I guess, the average person, like, oh, man, she is really cranking down on this arm and trying her best to make this look nasty. She did a version of a shoulder breaker, which is a move that I haven't seen in a long time. That's a that's an old school move that Greg Valentine used to use to break that out every once in a while. Just just a quick shoulder breaker, lift you over like in tombstone position and then drop you across my knee, shoulder first. Um very good by Jesse Jones. Like I said, I I have the utmost confidence in Almost nine out of ten matches that Jesse Jones is in, I have the utmost confidence that she will get the best out of it that she could possibly get. There's a point in the match where she does her normal stuff, where she, I mean, just ramming her shoulder into the shoulders of Americana or into the shoulder of Americana, I want to say both of them. And she is just, like, in full control here. Americana does get some... uh, The momentum to reverse, she does get it back on her side. But here we go where she has her dumb baby face moment. She puts Jesse Jones down in the corner. Americana goes outside, assumably to climb the top rope. And the first thing she does is she starts pounding on the turnbuckle. And then she points to her son on the outside. The same thing that got her to lose the tag match for her and Jesse Jones Several months back, she's doing right now. And so she climbs up, but she's giving Jesse Jones enough time. Jesse shows her off. And on the way down, and and I want to give Americana credit for this, she positioned her body to where the arm that Jesse was working is the one that came down across the, uh, well, no, it wasn't that arm, but she came down on her arm and showed her on the apron is what I was getting at. And I thought at least the effort was good. She did try to give 
that much effort to it that, hey, I see that she's damaged and she just damaged herself again. And Jesse comes out, slings her into the post. Now, again, there has been no cheating here. It is a cheap win or a cheap way to go about obtaining victory. But she didn't pull the tights. She didn't break out anything illegal. She didn't break any odds. You know, there, there was no cheating in this particular instance. She shoved her into the into the post. And then she got her back in. Now, if Wild chooses not to have that be a illegal thing, then we it hasn't been illegal thus far, so we can't call it cheating. Once she gets her back in there. Jesse Jones applies her armbar and she does it magnificently. Puts her knees across her shoulder and back. For a while there, she had her other knee across the back of the Americana's head. And then she starts racking on the arm. Americana looks like she's in pain and she's, you know, no, Jesse. She's doing like that. And she doesn't have anywhere to go and she taps out. Clean, in the middle of the ring. I mean, and normally when we say that, that's kind of like a euphemism, but no, here, it's it's legitimate. She tapped her out in the middle of the ring. It wasn't like she was even close to ropes. And then Jesse doesn't want to let it go. She's shoving the referees away. Now, I had a problem with that. I was like, you're telling me that this referee is incapable of getting Jesse Jones off, especially when later on they had the, the referee that I had the, the most problem with come in there and be the one to do it. But if anything, when we're looking at the overall scope of this, and we just recap a good chunk of Americana's history with Jesse Jones, this only serves to make Jesse Jones's point. She can win matches. And it's been clear that she can win matches. But when you're dealing with, and I guess I didn't talk about that when she, you know, I didn't go into detail with it, but... <clears throat> When she was dealing with Exile, it was clear that Exile wanted and were willing and capable of cheating to win a match. And Jesse, I'm sure in the kayfabe universe of WoW, felt like I got to get to them before they get to me. And it's worked for her. And then Americana came and screwed that up. But more importantly than that, not only does it prove her, her point, but it but where is Americana going from? I questioned it last time when we had the tag match, and they lost clean in the tag match. And not just they, Americana. Americana took a super kick in the mouth and went down one, two, three without any problems. Now we got her in this match where she's tapping out. If... This is where my creative would differ from Wild's creative. If I'm trying to build Americana to be sympathetic, I don't want her to tap. Don't tap out my baby face. I don't want that to happen. There should have been a mission statement provided for this match. That mission should have been Americana 
is not going to quit. Even if she gets in there, it's like we, we don't need her tapping out or verbally giving up or Jesse, stop, please. The, you know, the mission statement for the match should have been, and even if Jesse won, I was like, I wouldn't change the winner, but Jesse should win, but Americana should have looked like she was willing to go to hell and back not to tap out or to get even. She has not had that yet. Even when it was supposed to be a case of, you remember back when that, that angle that she was so hot about, Heavy Metal Sisters destroyed her son's tablet. Again, was her angle built around? Her son. All right, but you remember when her, they destroyed her son's tablet and they allegedly broke Jesse Jones's leg? She didn't do anything in that match. Spring Break 24-7 did the bulk of that match and had her come in for a moonsault for the end, and that was it. That was the revenge. Like, oh, all right, well, all's right with the world because she got this moonsault victory. So that is equal to breaking your partner's leg and uh, getting, getting your tablet destroyed. Didn't match up. This all just shows Americana as being everything that Jesse was complaining about. You don't concentrate. You don't know what you're doing. You're not focused. And it showed here. This is a baby face doing stupid things. That's why I mentioned Bailey at the news at the top of this show. Yeah, she's going baby face, but she ain't a dumb baby face. She knew what she was getting into. She knew what she was up against. Americana needs some of that. She needs to be able to, to have some level of smarts to be able to play chess with Jesse, not lose or not be beaten every chance. Now, like, I'm sure that ultimately they'll get the revenge or whatever the case may be, but in, in a true pro wrestling environment, there's really no reason for them to have a third match. She has beaten them. In a tag match, clean. Or Jesse Jones and Amber O'Neill, they've beaten the All-American girls in a tag match, clean. Jesse Jones has just defeated Americana in the middle of the ring by tap out, clean. So, you know, what other reason does she have to be involved with Americana? Why would she bother herself dealing with this? I've already proven to you that I can beat you and I can beat you clean, fair, and easy. Again, if I was going to change the creator of this, I wouldn't have her tapping out. If anything, it would have been the effort of Jesse Jones to try and tap her out, but Americana keeps getting loose. She keeps finding the counter. She keeps getting away. She keeps escaping. She keeps doing things because they were partners, and that would have been the thing that I was like, okay, here's what, what you got to get across as a commentator, that they know each other, that that just not Jesse Jones, but Americana knows her partner or former partner well enough that she is going to do everything possible to stay away from that armbar. And then you have Jesse cheat to win. She still needs to win, but she probably should have cheated to do it. The whole crux of this issue that they've had with each other is that Jesse, I don't need, you don't need to cheat because it's a bad example for Levi. But the second that she broke away from Americana and she's going heel, 
surprisingly, she hasn't cheated in again you know, anymore. She hasn't cheated again. So I don't know where they're going with this. I, I honestly don't know where they're going with this or how they're fleshing this out. It just doesn't seem to make sense in that regard. Jesse should have been cheating. If there, if there is a time that she should have been doing anything, pulling the tights, illegal object, raking the eyes, doing stuff behind the rest of anything, if there was a time for her to do that, it should have been here, it should have been now. And she should have gotten it multiple times. This is, and I'm not going to take credit for this. <clears throat> I'll give credit to two people. I'll give credit to Eric Adams. This is an independent wrestler who worked at uh, All-Pro Championship Wrestling. I think he works at Deep South now. And uh, Robert Gibson. This angle between Jesse Jones and Americana is like the bizarro version of of an angle that he put together in his show where he had the baby face who knew he could beat the big heel of, you know, the, of the company, Eric Adams. He knew he could do it. And he was a rookie, did not have the same amount of years, did not have the same amount of matches, but he knew that he trained hard and he could get there. Sound familiar? Uh, Jesse Jones, veteran, Americana, rookie. But she has, physical attributes much like this this individual his name was Landon Hale and he tried and he tried and he tried to get over and win against Jesse Jesse Jones against Eric Adams but every time it got too heated Eric cheated and he felt so strongly about that I do it that coward won't give me a match I do anything to get a match then he comes back out after he hears I'm a coward i show you a coward. I'm, I'm such a coward. Why don't you put your career on the line? I'll cut you off, kid, before you even get started. Everybody's trying to talk land the hell out of you. You ain't got to do this. You haven't done anything. You look, uh, you got your whole career ahead of you. You don't need to be doing this now. Just just let them go. Don't don't let your don't let your uh, emotions get the better of you. He's like, no, no, no. I gotta have I gotta have this match. And he has the match, and against all wrestling convention. The babyface lost. The babyface lost. Landon Hale went down in flames. He had he was cheated out of it, but he went down in flames. And I can tell you, at being in that building, they, he had people who were legitimately crying in that room because it defied the convention of what pro wrestling was. And they had been tuned into that angle for five months. Between tag matches and single matches and return single matches and whatnot, they built that story to the point that people were invested and wanted to see him get it back. And they knew that he had been cheated and cheated and cheated. Now, of course, you know, there, there was retribution there. He came back as a mass wrestler. They did the old Midnight Rider angle, basically, where everybody in the world knows that it's him except for the management. And then he finally, you know, scored his his win once he was able to convince the band to be lifted because Eric had to get his revenge on, on him from losing to this masked man. I said all of that to say this. Like I said, it's like a bizarro version of that angle. Americana was not given the benefit of having a gripe to say that Jesse stole the win from me, especially in a story where it has been all about 
cheating. The story had been about cheating. So why would you remove that element now? What should and I'm not going to say that my way is right, but what should have happened in my opinion is that through her countering and escaping and getting out of the arm bar and able to get away from it and frustrating Jesse, no matter how many times she tried to lock this thing in on her, she somehow found a way to escape it or get to the ropes or what have you. Jesse has no choice because she's fearing that, you know, this, this mounting comeback that Americana's is getting, I got to do something. Pop the referee and cheat or, you know, hit her with a foreign object, pull the tight, something. She needed to do something to cheat to get the win so she could walk out of there and Americana can still have, okay, Jesse, you did it again, and, and then you can move to the next stipulation. Because you know they're going to come back around to it, even though they don't, des- even though Americana should not be back in that match, you know they're going to come back around to it. So that's all I'm saying is like the element that drove this story to this point apparently has been removed, and you have a heel wrestler who isn't even doing, who isn't even cheating. She's doing heel stuff, but she isn't even cheating to acquire the win. The, the thing that drove the, the division between them in the first place. She is beating her ex-partner more or less clean in the middle. And for my view, is bad storytelling. David McClain at some point in this match, I, this is another one of the points where I'm like, okay, you know, you may need to have somebody else do the commentary. At some point in this match, he starts talking about, and Jesse Jones is undefeated. But it's almost like he immediately remembered that she wasn't undefeated and then had to try to qualify it. So he went to, Jesse Jones is undefeated, using that arm bar that she was like, like, no, she's not undefeated. She lost. That was the whole thing. She lost. And her having, what, what did she have, like one match since she was pinned so she's not undefeated, and she's and you can't even say it in the, in the context of what his armbar makes her that way. No, so yeah, I don't know what happened there. It looks like he just had a uh, a, a a lapse of storyline or angle, but but yeah, he just like oh yeah, she's undefeated. Then they immediately had to go into trying to qualify it to make the point that she's undefeated, even though she's not. Overall, uh. I know a couple of weeks ago, I was like, man, this show was was great. I, I was really high on it. I, I, I was like, this was an A show. I enjoyed it from top to bottom and, and all that good stuff. Uh, but this is not this is not that show. This this is not that show. It wasn't a bad show, but it's, it's, it's starting to dwindle back down. It's starting to go uh, backwards for me because of things like this. And... I know a lot of the WoW fans are not going to look at that that way because they're not going to look at the overall story. They're just going to look at the match. But when I look at the angles that lead into these things, the storylines that lead into these things, the Brat Pack and Jay Boogie, why are they together? It just seemed to come out of nowhere. Um, Gambito and Goldie Collins, fine match, but why are they wrestling? They're two heels. 
And, uh, and like I said, the only thing that made that palatable is that Adriana Gambino is on her streak and she was able to cut the promo at the end and all that good stuff. Uh, Chainsaw and Fury, is, it was another cold match. Didn't really, didn't kick off anything, didn't conclude anything. It's just another match for the sake of the match. And yeah, you need that. They did fine. Fury and Chainsaw did fine. I, I don't have any you know gripe with that, the booking, how it was performed, any of that. Uh, and then Jesse Jones and Americana, which really could have been, it was as good as Jesse Jones could make it be. <laughs> so I'm going to put that in, on, in her lap. But I really think that it would have helped Americana more had Jesse cheated. And had the narrative of Jesse cheating to win continued on rather than being cut off immediately when she goes into being a heel. So this is, as I said, an average show. It's like a C- minus for me. It just did not give me this feeling of oh man they are really putting it all out here and I, and I feel for Americana and I and I want to see one of these teams win in the trios tournament I, I like I, I have no skin in the game on anybody in the trios tournament just because I mean well maybe exile but even they like there's not the story isn't isn't the tournament the story is them falling apart the title or the trophy seems secondary to that and then you got the Brat Pack, and they got that new member, and, that, and I have no idea. Are they going babyface, or is Jay Boogie going heel? So, you know, it's, it's little things along those lines that I, uh, I question or at least have taken some of the oomph out of the show for me. Uh, this is the point where I get to where they are previewing the, the uh, next episode. I will go ahead and admit to you that I have cheated a bit. Uh, the episode came in to the job yesterday as I'm recording now. So I did watch some of this. So I'm not going to go into... Who did what? I'm just going to read to you how it was presented. I'm not going to make any predictions because, again, you know, it's hard for me to do that. I've already um, seen it. Um, Well, let's clear this out of the way, and I can read to you the preview for this next episode. So, the next episode is titled Leader of the Pack. And this is the preview, by the way, so I can give myself chapter markers. Season 2, episode 21, Leader of the Pack. Last call demands a championship match against the Tonga Twins. Los Banditas and Tormenta hope that Latin power can stand tall in their first trios tournament match against the Mighty Mites and Keita Rush. Yes, you heard that correctly. Team Spirit has a surprise for Coach Campanelli, and Rebel Hayes gets a special gift ahead of her match with Gloria Glitter. Team IQ Superior tries to answer the question 
of who's second in command behind Samantha Smart and a leader of the pack triple threat. So those are the matches that we are looking forward to. Uh, like I said, I now I didn't watch the show, uh, so I don't know the verbiage. I didn't, you know, when I when I say I watched, I looked at the matches, but I looked at them with no volume. So I saw the match in and of itself, but I didn't hear the commentary, nor did I listen to the uh, the segments. I skipped. Them. I said I'll, I'll catch that when it's, it's actually airing. Uh. So without giving any spoilers and without going into what I felt about what I saw, I would just say this. This is another case of why is this happening? The same thing I said about Americana, she lost clean. Last call lost clean. Twice. So I don't know where we're going into this. The Mighty Mice and Keita Rush have already ruined what I thought that they were going to stick to with the brackets because they basically have taken the mighty mites out of the loss of one bracket and dropped them into another rebel Hayes. I don't know if I can even say anything about that without spoiling anything. So I'm not going, not going to go into it. Just watch the show. And then this whole team IQ superior leader of the pack triple threat match. The disciplinarian, G.I. Jane, and, and the class master are all fighting for number two. Who is going to be second in command behind Samantha Smart? Just, just think about that for a second. They're all fighting for number two. So that all of a sudden, we will, you know, if Samantha Smart's not here, then you'll listen to me or something like that. They're all fighting to be second in command. Of a losing team. Team doesn't hasn't done anything. In tag, in feuds, in this trio tournament, they haven't done anything. And they are all fighting for this. If anything, it should just be given to the disciplinarian, quite honestly. She's been there longer than anybody else. And as far as I know, Unless something different happened in this episode, she's the only one that hadn't made any verbal claim on it. Jane and Classmaster made some claim about it, what, a week ago, another episode back. But here we are, and it's so important that we be in control that I'm going to wrestle and fight my own partners for it. And Samantha Smart, the genius that she is, is going to stand there and watch this happen. This feels like it's going backwards, but I will reserve all judgment until later on. So that is the upcoming episode. That was the review, and that was uh, my thoughts about other wrestling news carrying on with the women and whatnot. And I will, I just want to say one other thing uh, before I go, and this has nothing to do with uh, women's wrestling. As I'm recording this, one of the people that I grew up, one of my first action heroes that I ever saw has passed away. And that's Carl Weathers. And I know he wasn't listed as a front man of action heroes, you know, not like his contemporaries, the Stallones and Schwarzeneggers, but he, you know, the man was Apollo Creed. 
Apollo Creed, of course, modeled after Muhammad Ali, but he did become his own man as the franchise moved on. And that was his star-breaking role. He had he had roles in other movies preceding that. Uh, Friday Foster, uh, I think he was, was he in Penitentiary? <clears throat> he did a couple of bit parts like that, but Apollo Creed in the Rocky movie was the thing that broke him out. And he did four of them. He did four four Rocky movies before Apollo Creed was killed off. Of course, he was also in Predator, one of the most iconic scenes in movie history. Him and Schwarzenegger slapping hands together for this test of might, so to speak. Uh, he's, he's had a bunch of them, man. He's had a, a, a bunch of other movies. Of course, most recently, The Mandalorian. He, he was in several... Adam Sandler films uh, the first one being Happy Gilmore I think he showed back up in Little Nicky and then he did the voice in, um, was it Eight Crazy Nights he did a voice in there so Adam used him a couple of times uh, like I just said The Mandalorian and surprisingly to me of the people that the outlets that have reported his death uh, his unfortunate and untimely death they never mentioned his one starring role it wasn't a big movie but it was his movie action jackson that was the the one that he had that he was the guy i may go watch that today in honor of mr creed i mean uh, uh, mr weathers sorry but he is apollo creed i'm not gonna apologize for that the man is apollo creed that's how i grew up watching him and i love him for that and I really hated waking up and hearing the news before I went to work that he had passed away. And the unfortunate part about that is that at the job, uh, there's a bunch of fan duel spots. Fan duel, you know, sponsoring the spot in the Super Bowl, for those who didn't know. And they were going to do the kick. Or they're still going to do it. The, the kick of destiny, too. With Gronk, he's trying to uh, you know make the, the the kick that he didn't do last year. John Cena, if we want to rope it into wrestling somehow, John Cena's also in that. He's like, you're gonna miss Gronk. But one of the hallmark moments was that Gronk was walking through the desert, long hair and disheveled, and like I don't kick, I catch. And out of the distance comes a man on a motorcycle, and he takes off his helmet and his car weathers. He's like, you're going to get to do it again, and this time you won't miss. And then they had to train the videos. And like what I was saying is that the bad part about it is that we had to scrub every single commercial that featured Carl Weathers in it. Every last one of them. Because FanDuel didn't want to continue on with that. You know, they, they, have, to, they have to reposition the, um, the promotion since... Carl Willis is no longer going to be there. So, again, I, I understand this is not wrestling related, much less women's wrestling related. But, you know, it's my little platform, and I felt like I, you know, as somebody that grew up watching that man and seeing him in a variety of movies over the years. TV shows because he's done some other stuff on TV shows a lot of which I you know can't name right now I think it was Law and Order and Saturday Night Live and you know just some other stuff 
Uh, it, it's, it's just a shame. Sad to hear it. They haven't announced his uh, cause of death, but Mr. Carl Weathers, we will miss you, sir. We will miss you. And on that note, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. This is Mr. Green saying that this is Mr. Green saying so long. And we'll see you on the next go round. Thank you for tuning in and take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to the WPN's Rights and Wrongs of Pro Wrestling. If you have questions or comments, please contact us via our Facebook or our YouTube channel at the Women's Pro Wrestling Network. If you're new to the WPN, feel free to subscribe to our channel and like our page. We appreciate your support. Thank you again for listening.